0: When I was 19, I casually dated this guy, Casey, that I had met through a mutual friend. We hit it off the first time we met and hung out for hours. He was incredibly charming, and we had a lot in common, but he definitely had an off vibe about him. The day after we hung out, my friend texted me not to get too involved with him because Casey was kind of a psycho. I ignored my friend's warning, which is something I regret to this day. My friend wouldn't elaborate, so I shrugged it off as probably nothing, thinking that if it were that extreme, he'd tell me. Casey and I were by no means serious. He said he planned on seeing other girls and didn't even want to call me his girlfriend. I appreciated his straightforwardness, though my feelings were hurt by this. I told myself that maybe as we got closer, he would change his mind. As I spent more time with him, I began to see what my friend was talking about. He had some serious anger issues, and would do things like throw plates against the wall if something wasn't fully cooked in the microwave, and then casually talk about how on bad days, he'd sometimes fantasize about going on a shooting spree, if he could get away with it. I finally broke up with him after he told me in a rage that he wished he could shove a fire poker down the neighbor's dog's throat so it wouldn't bark anymore. Altogether, our fling lasted less than five months. He kept trying to convince me to date him again in the following months. I obviously kept telling him no. I eventually started dating my now husband. Casey made one last attempt to get me back by showing up at my apartment to tell me that he was in love with me, and if he couldn't have me, then life was not worth living. He said if I didn't let him in and try to work it out, that he would end it all with a single bullet to the head. Since I knew that he owned a gun, I was terrified that he would actually do it. I had no idea how to handle this situation, so I let him inside with the intention of keeping him as calm as I could and texting one of his friends to come get him and get him help. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about what happened next, but he kept trying to kiss me, and when I made it clear we weren't going to be intimate, he pretty much beat the shit out of me. Then he left and just left me bleeding and crying on the ground. I didn't tell my then boyfriend about it because I didn't want them to have an altercation. I just made up excuses as to why I couldn't see my boyfriend for weeks until all my marks had healed. I told my coworkers I was in a bike crash. I could tell no one really believed that, though. Casey texted me apologizing. He said he just loved me so much that he snapped because he needed me so badly. He tried to frame his violence as some kind of f***ed up romantic gesture. I told him to never come near me again and threatened to call the cops if I ever saw him. I was scared shitless for over a year that he would come attack me, or kill me. But I didn't hear from him again. Fast forward six years later. At this point, my husband and I were married and just got our first kid. She was five and we were fostering her with the intention of adoption. We lived in a new state, several hours away. Casey somehow found out I had a daughter. He messaged me on Facebook, saying he knows I have a daughter. And that she must be his. I tried to explain that she wasn't my biological kid, but he insisted I was lying and she looked exactly like him. Fact, she looks nothing like him at all. He's white and blonde with blue eyes, and she's of Latin origin. I told him he was crazy, blocked him, and deleted all photos of her from my Facebook. I still have no clue how he even saw them since my account is completely private. I even double-checked my settings to make sure of this. Another few weeks go by without contact, and I feel confident that that's the last I'm going to hear from him. Wrong. He shows up at the house, begging to talk. He looks like trash and clearly developed a serious drug habit over the years, far beyond just weed. He was pale as hell, had dark rings around his eyes, was all shaky, and looked like he had lost at least 20 pounds. My husband wasn't there, so I was pretty terrified. He asked, can I please just meet her? I once again emphasized she is not my biological kid and told him he really needed to stay away from my family or I would call the police. He then went on a whole unhinged tangent about how we belong together and it wasn't fair for me to keep punishing him for not realizing that sooner. He went on and on about how after he found out about her, God told him while he was on meth that he needed to quit everything and get clean so that he could be with me and raise his daughter. I just closed the door in his face, yelled at him to leave or I would call the cops. He shouted back that I couldn't keep him away from his child forever. I call the police and all they do is file a report. Then they tell me that there's nothing they can do unless he threatens or harms one of us. About three months later, my daughter doesn't come home on the bus. I call the school, and they say she was picked up by her dad. I know for a fact that it wasn't my husband, so that only left Casey. As you can imagine, the next few hours were complete and total hell on earth. My husband came home from work early, and we had to wait at the house with a cop and a detective in case he made it home while other cops searched for them. The detective told me that from everything I told him, He didn't think Casey was at risk of harming her or fleeing with her. And luckily, he was right. They were found at McDonald's and he was promptly arrested while my daughter was taken to the hospital. Thankfully, she wasn't harmed physically at all and he was apparently really nice to her, although it was incredibly awkward to have to explain to a five-year-old why this strange man was telling her that he's her dad. The prosecution in the case was insanely lenient on him due to his mental health issues and drug problem, coupled with the fact that he didn't harm her. They ended up dropping all the serious charges like kidnapping a minor and sentenced him to stay in a state hospital until he was deemed healthy enough to be let out, which ended up only being four months. They granted us a restraining order that lasted two years, which I was incredibly disappointed about, as I wanted a lifelong one but we were assured that if he contacted any of us again, we would no doubt be able to get another one. It's four years later now, and we've not heard from him since. My daughter wasn't traumatized or anything, she just sees it as a strange experience she had. I still have intense anxiety every time the doorbell rings though. My husband bought a shotgun immediately after this went down. I've heard through the grapevine that Casey has mostly been clean besides being an alcoholic. I guess it's an upgrade for meth at least. And he seems to be less batshit insane. That's all well and good, but I really hope that I never see that man again for the rest of my life. When I was about six years old, around 2004, my mom started taking my sister and I to Dr. Daniel's pediatric dental office. The dental center was located inside a giant yellow mansion that also doubled as Dr. Daniel's house. It was honestly gorgeous. When I first started going to the dentist, I was extremely shy and actually suffered from selective mutism and had a lot of autistic-like tendencies. Needless to say, I relied heavily on my mother's comfort and for someone to give me my voice because it was extremely anxiety-inducing for me to talk to strangers, especially men for some reason. When my sister and I got called in from the waiting room, my mom instinctively followed us to the office until she was told by Dr. Daniels that parents weren't allowed to be with their children, as going through the appointment by themselves taught kids independence, to which my mom complied to. Once in there, though, this man immediately separated my sister and I, and in reaction to that, I cried because I felt scared. Dr. Daniels did not like crying, so he grabbed me and put his hands over my mouth and nose, shook me, and aggressively warned me that if I continued to cry and scare the other kids, that he would make my situation a lot worse. Obviously, this scared me even more, so I began to cry again. Dr. Daniels had had enough and took me into his house part of the dentist office, where he screamed at me once again, grabbed me by the neck, and shoved me. That's when his hygienist, Judy, came over
1: No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code program.
0: He's so hard, I wouldn't know what had hit me. Afterwards, he gave me a juice concoction and left me alone in his house for about five minutes until he took me back into the dental office and did the work on my teeth. I guess I just instinctively knew that if I wanted to survive, I just had to act like I wasn't terrified and hold on to all the tears although all I wanted was my mom. After the first appointment, my sister and I told my mom that we were scared of the dentist and that he was a mean man, but she just took it as me being an anxious child, so we continued to see him. Each visit after was just as terrifying. Every time we pulled into the mansion, my heart jumped into my throat because I was so scared. That big house was no longer pretty to look at. Every time we went to the dentist, Dr. Daniels, or the Toothman as he called himself, always had us have heavy dental work procedures done. We had seals done on several baby teeth and plenty of teeth removed, some even with his fingers, with no regards to pain level at all. And often when having a tooth removal or seals done, your mouth had to be opened up with a retractor he would leave us there with the retractor on for about 45 minutes or so before he came to work on our teeth. Sometimes, he would even eat his lunch while we sat there with our mouths open. Probably one of the worst pains I've ever felt in my life. I remember one time when I was in the third grade, I had been leaned down in the chair waiting with the retractor on for an hour. I was in so much pain that I couldn't take it. I sat up in the chair and tried to scream and cry as loud as I could. Dr. Daniels came rushing over angry as could be, took the retractor off my face, and then took me back into his house part again where he screamed at me for being a big baby and once again scaring all the other kids. I was so sad in myself because I hadn't cried in such a long time. That's when he took me back to the dental chair, pinned me down to the seat using straps on the arms. He put the retractors back on and said that I would have to wait longer because I caused such a scene. All I could do was shed silent tears and drool everywhere. Afterwards, my mouth would become so swollen and filled with rashes, it would hurt to talk for days. It would leave bruises and would swell up as soon as I left the chair. He would often tell my mother that I was a difficult patient, if I so much as winced at his torture. Once, he removed six of my teeth at once and I could barely eat. While he ripped out tooth after tooth, he would often sing songs. It was so Sweeney Todd-like. When I was in seventh grade, I started the process to get braces and we began seeing an orthodontist. Not long after that, we stopped seeing Dr. Daniels and started seeing a new dentist who was actually nice. I had never known that getting your teeth cleaned didn't have to feel like going through a saw trap. I think my mom took us out of Dr. Daniel's practice when the orthodontist looked at our dental records and saw a lot of unnecessary procedures being done on our mouths. Not long ago, I was having a conversation with a friend about our childhood fears, and instantly my mind went to the tooth man. Curious, I googled him to see what had happened to him, and to my happiness, the practice was shut down. But also, left under his name, was a Yelp page that was still up. The page was filled with numerous one-star reviews from former patients that were once abused as kids in his office, using the page as an outlet to express their trauma. I began to cry because their experiences were so close, and some identical as to what I went through when I was a kid. It was sad, but At the same time really validating to know that I wasn't alone. A lot of the procedures we went through were just scams for him to collect money off our parents' insurance. And now that I think about it, he probably was so adamant on us not crying and screaming for help because he didn't want parents to hear and come and see what was going on themselves. I shake thinking about this. I really pray that he hasn't opened up another practice somewhere else. I know it's hard not to blame parents in this situation, but the truth is, this man was a swift abuser. For every bruise and swell we had, he would have dental explanations that would make the parents feel stupid about even asking. He was an authority figure. I don't blame my mom for not believing us. She knew he was firm, but probably thought we were confusing firmness with meanness. To be honest... Even recounting this torture was so wild that it actually sounds made up. My mom eventually did come around. She's not alone as there were hundreds and hundreds of parents that were duped and deceived by this man. To Dr. Daniels, I can only hope that we never meet again. And to any parent listening to this, if you are ever told not to go in with your child to an appointment, something's really not right. When I was in middle school, I took the city bus to school because my parents couldn't drive me, and no school buses routed through my neighborhood. I didn't live in a particularly good place, but I never felt unsafe, probably because I was a kid and thought of myself as invincible. This particular morning, I got on the bus to take myself to school, 6th grade at the time so I think I was about 12, but let me tell you, I have always looked much younger than what my age says. It was a decently crowded bus, so I go to my usual spot in the back. A few stops go by, and then a man gets on and takes a seat right next to me. It's been about 15 years now, but I still remember exactly how he looked. Tall, thin, Hispanic, long straight black hair, and sort of a smashed, twisted demeanor implanted on his face. Like I said, It was a semi-crowded bus with maybe one or two open seats, so it wasn't weird that he was next to me at first. I just figured he sat in the first seat that he saw open. That's when he started to talk to me. I can't remember what he said at first, but being early in the morning and already peeved that I had to share my space with him, I just made vague, disinterested noises at him. Then he asked where I was going. After that question my spidey senses started to tingle because obviously it's early morning and I'm a child, so I'm going to school. So I said school in a duh sort of way. I realized now he was probably looking for me to tell him which school. A few stops went by and the bus opened up more so I quickly went and found another empty seat. Not five minutes later though, he follows and sits right next to me again still attempting to get me to talk to him. He asked my name, my favorite color, what sports I'm into. I look to the front of the bus and happen to see some 8th graders that I know from school, although I've never seen them on this bus before. That's when my animal brain screams at me to find safety in the pack. I move up to the front of the bus and plant myself in the middle of them and basically press myself into them and give them the help me eyes. The guy moves again and sits directly in front of me. He asks my name once more, and that's when one of the boys I'm sitting with, G, quickly calls me by a fake name and turns his body so he's kind of shielding me and begins to carry on a conversation with me until we reach our school stop. The group of 8th graders basically formed a circle around me and we huddled off the bus. As we make our exit, I turn to make sure the creep didn't follow us off the bus that's when I catch sight of him standing in the aisle of the bus, staring daggers through us. Thankfully, he didn't follow, though. Although for the next few weeks, I caught either the earlier or later bus, just in case he was on it again. And since the bus stop was right in front of my school, I was afraid he knew where I went and would randomly show up. But he never did pop up again. Even now... I'm so incredibly thankful for those kids being there to help me. I don't know if that guy might have thought I was younger than I looked, maybe elementary school age, and if he thought I was young and stupid enough to trust him with more personal information. My parents did well to teach me about strangers and things like that, but when it goes from hypothetical to real life, it's hard to feel like you have any power or control over what's going on as a kid. I'm glad that I thought to join those other children. I'm glad they picked up on my need for help. And even more, I'm glad I'm able to share this story to remind people that scary situations can be less than a bus ride away.